Welcome back to the program. Let's begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord our God, I thank you and I praise you that you sent your Son, Jesus, to be in our midst, and that, Lord Jesus, you founded the church to be the place of continuation where you continue to do your work of redemption and sanctification in this world. And Lord, we thank you most especially for the gift of the sacred liturgy of coming close to us as Holy Eucharist. And I ask, Lord, that you would um, bless all Catholics, bless us all, to be able to enter more fully into the sacred liturgy, this holy work that you have granted us access to. And Lord, I ask that you would uh, truly bless this program and all who listen, that we would truly uh, come to um, uh, approach you with greater gratitude and worship. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I want to welcome to the program, as I mentioned, I've got a wonderful guest on today. His name is Mark Rome. And Mark, it's interesting, when I first met you, it wasn't because of your extensive time involved in church activities, apostolates, was it? No, it wasn't at all. <laughs> I don't have any of that. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. It's... Um, uh, I don't actually think we we knew that each other back when you were working uh, at T-Mobile, and I was serving T-Mobile as a consultant. No, I wasn't aware of that at the time. I did listen to you um, during my commutes there from Issaquah to Bellevue. Um, did you know that I was serving at that point, that I, I was doing something um, at T-Mobile? I, I did not. I had learned about that later after I had left T-Mobile. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. <laughs> well, for folks who are listening, we, we are here to talk about... Um, an initiative that you founded, co-founded, and you're the president of. It's called Preserve the Latin Mass. It's a nonprofit organization. And I'm going to mention this website several times, folks, preservethelatinmass.org, preservethelatinmass.org. And it um, it's going to highlight some, I think, beautiful and, and vitally important um, uh, realities that we as Catholics today ought to seriously consider, and, and not just consider, but then take action on. Um, but before we do that, uh, like what was it that got you to to literally get so involved that you started a, a nonprofit organization, Preserve the Latin Mass, that um, tell us a little bit about your, your own story. Uh, I want to hear a little bit more about you because you have a fascinating background because it wasn't just that you worked for T-Mobile. You had a pretty important role there at T-Mobile and at other, you know, recognizable uh, Fortune 50 companies. And so love to learn more about you, Mark Rong. Tell us about yourself. Sure. Well, thank you, Tom. Well, first and foremost, I'm a Catholic convert. I'm a, a husband and father of eight children, ages uh, 14 down to two. Um, professionally, as you said, I am a corporate lawyer by profession and um, most recently, I served as vice president and deputy general counsel at eBay. Uh, before that, I was in a vice president role at T-Mobile, and I was in a vice president role at another company before that. And just overall, uh, professionally, I was responsible at these companies for multi-billion dollar transactions, mergers and acquisitions, uh, capital markets transactions. I represented, I was legal representation for the board of directors for the C-suite, dealt with a lot of very interesting uh, happenings at the companies, uh, including things like shareholder activism. Um, so that's me professionally. Well, and it's funny you say that, but the thing that caught me the most, right, as impressive as that is, and folks, I, I want you to hear that, that here's, uh, here's a gentleman who has been operating in the highest, like, halls of power in corporate America. And yet you said something at the very, very beginning, when you first identified yourself, you didn't identify yourself with the professional roles that you've held. But you said, first of all, I'm a Catholic convert. Mm -hmm. And that is so fascinating to me. I want to hear more about your story of how you came into the Catholic faith. Um, and, and I know that it involves more than just you. So I'd love to hear yes. that story. Well, um, so I was raised in England as, um, uh, I was raised Jewish, in fact, I was bar mitzvahed um, as a Jew. Um, I would say that, um, I would describe myself as probably lukewarm, uh, certainly not, um, uh, you know, in fully, fully in the faith, but nevertheless, that was my background growing up in England, although I did attend Anglican, an Anglican school, 
um, I immigrated, uh, my parents divorced and I immigrated with my mother and that side of the family um, to the States. Um, incidentally, my father, uh, which is the more predominantly side, a Jewish side of the family, um, remarried, and I actually do have a half-brother who is a rabbi in London. Um, I went quite a different path, though. Um, I would say uh, during my teen and, and, and young adult years, I was um, not so religious. Um, I I've never was an atheist. I've always had um, a, a firm, firmly rooted belief in God, uh, albeit very confused uh, about who who God is. Um, uh, I did attend uh, Jesuit University and law school, uh, and in particular during university, I encountered um, people who I view as Orthodox Christians and Orthodox Catholics, and um, certainly they didn't um, have an impact on me at the time. Uh, but I, in hindsight, I, I realized that, that there are some very special people who um, planted seeds that have grown. And, you know, that's a good reminder because um, when you're, to, the, to all of us, when we're bearing witness uh, to our faith, even if someone looks like a lost cause, you never know. And it may not be till we, we reach eternity uh, that we know um, the impact we've had on, on people. I think that's a great point, Mark, that... Like here are these folks who are just simply living their life of faith, right? They're just living it and it's washing over you. And in washing over you, it's sowing seeds into you. And even though they're not aware, it is, something is, is happening. Something is taking root. And I think that that's true not only for persons, but for realities like rituals. Yes. That when you come into contact with a ritual, and I think, oh, you see where this is going, the sacred liturgy, yeah. the holy sacrifice of the mass, how it shows up for people, for Catholics who are there, mm -hmm. it washes over them and it sows seeds into them. But I'm kind of jumping way ahead in the story. Yep. So you have these seeds of faith that are being sown in you through the witness of um, Catholics that you're encountering. Yes. Uh, but you're not yet Catholic. You didn't fall on your face, cry out to God and say, thank you, Lord, for my Catholic faith. Not like that. No, I, in fact, I had a, a less than zero interest in becoming Catholic. Um, I was... Um, certainly just through my uh, intellectual studies and um, was gravitating more and more toward Christianity just out of uh, basically a trial and error and, and ruling out other, other approaches that just didn't make sense. Uh, but Christianity continued to kind of uphold uh, any challenge that I could bring against it. Um, but then I, at law school, I, I met my uh, future wife. I, I met her practically on the first day of law school. Uh, she um, is was raised Southern Baptist in the South. Um, so there you had this Southern Baptist and this uh, Luke, former lukewarm Jew. And um, we had to, as our relationship progressed, we had to, uh, and we discerned marriage, and we, we obviously talked about religion. And kind of at a very superficial level, we knew that it was very important that we share religious beliefs um, because I had obviously come from a divorced family and I think part of my religious uh, nomadic existence was because I, there wasn't that uniformity mm -hmm. of belief uh, between my parents. Um, so um, she, interestingly, was raised Southern Baptist, but... Um, had an inexplicable um, draw draw toward ca the Catholic Church. Um, so even as a child, despite attending a um, you know a church that pretty much was as you would imagine, uh, not particularly kind toward Catholicism and what we believe, she nevertheless had this yearning to attend the Catholic Mass wow. with her friend. Yeah. Was her friend Catholic? Yes, she had a Catholic friend. Okay. And um, and would she say, hey, why don't you come to church with us? Yeah, there was the invitation. And, um, you know, so I think she had some exposure there. And then in her young adult life, um, although, again, she had no formation, no Catholic formation or any encouragement from family, um, whenever she sought out uh, spiritual advice and guidance, uh, she would actually go to a Catholic church. 
and talk to a priest. So it's, I, you know, there isn't, I don't think there's kind of an earthly explanation for that. So bring that perspective together with mine. And we, um, you know, I think that probably completed, she completed my journey to Christianity. Uh, but, and, and we had to set about, well, what expression of Christianity are we going to, um, you know, dedicate ourselves to? And so we set out on a journey of exploring all the denominations. I said, anything but Catholic. Did you really? I Absolutely. Those no. were my words. Why did you say that? Um, because I had a lot of hangups with... Um, with, with the Catholic Church and what I saw looking from the outside in on um, what I thought the Catholic Church stood for, um, some of its uh, some of the things that it believed in, I just wasn't there in my in my young younger years. I just wasn't there. That that wasn't my my worldview. I I come up through this woke university system and that's what had formed me <laughs> so interesting so anything but catholic anything but catholic okay, so kerry mm -hmm. has this sort of um overarching just sort of nuanced like pull towards the catholic faith and you're anything but catholic yep. so what's the next step forward where did you end up well we ended up well, we did go through baptist methodist lutheran and we ended up at anglican um and I think that the reason for that was um, we were drawn to the, there was a beautiful church. It was um, in Boston. It's uh, right there in Copley Plaza. It's Trinity Church. Um, some people may know it. Um, and um, it was the, the liturgy. It was, it was the, the tradition of the architecture and the liturgy, the reverence. Um, that was, in the end... Uh, what drew us there, um, and we so we went into the RCIA equivalent uh, at that church, and um, you know it, it became it started to become problematic as we started to read the, the the words of the liturgy and the words, and as we became more steeped in in scripture, it just wasn't quite adding up for us. Some of the things we were seeing, and some of the things that they believed, didn't add up with the actual words. And so, um, so you find your first spiritual home there. Yep. And then, what? Where's the? Where, is is it from there? The final jump is to the Catholic Church. The first jump to the Catholic Church the first was, jump. was was there, and it was really um, because one of the things that drew us in was um, really just we encountered so many such a variety of beliefs and interpretations of of scripture and forms of worship and and it was like well what's right what's true how can they all be it's right? good attorneys that's good yeah. some Where of this the, show me the facts right no. i mean some of some of this was diametrically opposed yeah. and it's like well how can that be mm -hmm. and who who is the authority mm -hmm. how do we know what's right what and and just some of the various things about like the individual pastors and the way they lived their lives was just didn't quite sit well with mm -hmm. us and so um in the end um i think we also became more aware or we became disabused of some of our misunderstandings of of what catholicism is and what they be, what what catholics believe and so yeah we we and we stepped foot in a catholic church nice okay <laughs> this is great i'm talking with mark rome he is the president and founder of a nonprofit organization i want you to become familiar with and go check out their website it's called preserve the latin mass dot org preserve the latin mass dot org uh, mark and his wife carrie and their eight children are uh, not quite neighbors of ours but you're about a half an hour away maybe yep. a little less than that and we get to see each other somewhat regularly at, yes. at mass uh, we kind of pass each other well, you typically have a little 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 one in your arms as you're exiting the church or coming back in but typically it would be in coffee and donuts after mass where we get to visit which is really wonderful uh, today on the program uh, mark is sharing a bit about his story of coming into the catholic faith but then coming to a deep appreciation for the sacred liturgy as it's expressed in the traditional latin mass and this initiative called preserve the latin mass is connected to an effort to raise up voices that are often 
well, not appreciated, drowned out, not really heard, and that he himself is a beautiful, along with his family, a beautiful expression of the way in which the, the traditional Latin mass has in fact transformed their very lives. Back in a minute with more Sound Insight and Mark Rome. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Kern. Again, I have Mark Rome with me. He is the president and founder of Preserve the Latin Mass. PreserveTheLatinMass.org. Go to the website and check it out. I think it's an important initiative that, uh, Mark, you have founded and is generating some real momentum. And I was excited to have you on to, to learn more about that. But before we get there, I want to get to that place where we ended up meeting, which is um, is really right around the, 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 Latin, the traditional Latin Mass. And, um, but before we get there, you and your wife, Carrie, have just stepped foot into the Catholic Church. So I want to kind of pick up on the story where you left off. Yeah, we felt at home. And um, I don't know, I recognized in the, in the Mass um, something familiar to me, hearkening back to my uh, days at, at synagogue. Really? And now this is, just to be clear, this is the Novus Ordo Mass. This, this is, is the Mass in English that, again, the majority, great majority of folks that were listen, are listening to this interview yeah. are familiar with. Yep, this is Novus Ordo Mass, and um, this is, um, you know, as compared to anything we had experienced in the Protestant uh, churches that we had been, um, you know, experiencing over the prior few years, it was just... Um, I, it just felt right, and and you know, I I just it, the the sacrifice, the 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 entire um, you know the real presence of 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 our Lord in in the Eucharist, like it it all just came together, and it's like this this is um, where we are supposed to be. This is this is this is now drawing us so much closer to God. And so it was, yeah, the Novus Ordo Mass is a huge part of my conversion to Catholicism. I, you know, I have uh, much to be grateful for, um, for that liturgy. Yeah, well, and I think about sort of my work in church, in, in church ministry over the past, over 30 years now. Um, one of the things that I found was a great, and even desperate need was to help Catholics who have been coming to Mass to realize what they're participating in. So I wrote that book on the Mass. Yes. Four encounters with Jesus that will change your life. Yes. And it to and, and it was all based on the the Second Vatican Council and the way in which it unfolded the meaning of the liturgy and how it is a place of transformative encounter with the risen Lord Jesus Christ present in the priest in the Word in the assembly and most powerfully and profoundly as Eucharist and how he comes to us in order to, to bring eternal life into us. That we were driving back from mass last night as a family and um, John Mark was a uh, um, full disclosure. We were praying our family rosary on the way home after yeah. mass. The kids were kind of grumbling about that. And yeah. I'm like, Hey kids, you're either going to pray it later tonight uh, during our family prayer, or you can use the ride home to pray the rosary. And John Mark, my 16-year-old, said, do you guys just realize you received eternal life at Mass when you went to communion? Do you realize you received eternal life? Right? He was like chiding his siblings, like, yeah. shake out of it. Like, the gift you just were given uh, at Mass, right? And and that was a Novus Ordo Mass. Mm -hmm. and, and, and it was like, the Mass has such power potential that it's there it's 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 right in front of us yep. to change our lives yeah but one of the things that i discovered along the way which wasn't a it was a it was a not a hidden secret it was wide open for everyone to see it was the, the 800 pound gorilla in the room is that so many catholics had walked away from the faith because of their experience at mass mm -hmm. so early you know maybe 10 years ago when they were doing all of this research the number one reason why Catholics had stopped practicing their faith, or first or second, was that they found their experience of Mass to be boring, not meaningful, not connecting to their lives. And so they walked away. They floated away. Yeah. And there was something off. Yeah. There was just something that wasn't connecting. And so uh, the Mass has, it's, 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 it's real and it's there, but there was something that was not also happening for so many Catholics 
and they were floating away from the faith. Yeah, and we experienced that to some extent. So, of course, you know, I was a convert. I had stepped into uh, the church for the first time. I'm watching people go up to receive the Eucharist, and, like, I'm developing an understanding for this um, and a realization of this. And um, so it was just, it was an extremely exciting time and i was on fire um but yeah i mean if we fast forward and and that did culminate in my baptism because i had never been baptized so i was baptized on, at an easter vigil novus ordo mass and it was beautiful and it was moving and carrie came into the church and um you know that was just in time for uh, the birth of our first son and so i was first children all baptized in in novus ordo and um but yes, over time, as uh, as I kind of started to peel back, you know, you, you, once you're you're in, you still barely know anything, <laughs> or at least that was my experience. The, the faith is so deep, and and so you 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 continue to learn and progress, and you and you rely on others around you, and yeah, I I started to discover um, there are some people who have a tremendous de- devotion and a full understanding of of what the mass is what it means but there are so many that don't mm-hmm. and um and there are so many that are just in and out <laughs> it's it's a check the box activity for them and i'm i'm so deeply saddened for them you know i uh, so mark here's one way that when i like reflected on that phenomenon was how do we address it in, in church in church ministry work and helping parishes, how do we help them come to a greater understanding of the identity, the reality of what's occurring? And at that time, one of the biggest emphases in terms of efforts to address it was to focus on relevance. How do we make the mass more meaningful to those who are attending? So it was focusing on relevance. And to be fair, that had some impact, but the emphasis on relevance is always going to wane because when shifting something to make it more relevant becomes then the custom, Mm -hmm. then it too ends up ultimately being emptied of something meaningful. And then you've got to try to make a new novelty to make it refresh that sense of relevance. Mm -hmm. And what I discovered, and I think what lots of folks are discovering today, is that the better path to helping Catholics discover the reality, the essence, the identity of the sacred liturgy isn't, first of all, by focusing on relevance, but by focusing on reverence. Yeah. And so talk about that, because at some point, your journey, you and Carrie, ended up having you stumble into, seek after, being told about the traditional Latin Mass. Yeah, and and we, we were... We were blessed to have, um, you know, we went to many parishes, but the, 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 the Novus Ordo parish that we were at immediately prior to, to going to Latin Mass was a very reverent priest. I, I love him greatly and admire him. Um, but thinking back, you know, I remember he had to give homily, uh, make announcements during his homily more than one time on, you know, please don't chew gum when you come to receive the Holy Eucharist. And I was like, that's, on, you know, at first I was like, that's great. He's courageous. And I love that he did that. And then later I thought, man, why, why does he have to say that? Mm-hmm. What do people believe? And why did he have to do it more than once? What is it that's causing people to remain in that lukewarmness, that realm? You know, Mark, when you say that, it actually reminds me, believe it or not, of Socrates. Okay, so one of Socrates' most Famous phrases is know thyself. Now, he didn't make that up. He actually read it off of um, the doorway overseeing the temple at Delphi. And it's know thyself. And what it meant was, as you enter into this place, the temple, the place of worship of a God, realize that you are not God. And it is meant to evoke a certain awareness and therefore attitude and behavior in those who enter into the temple. And that is referred to as reverence. 
It's not just respect. Respect is really about the human level. Reverence is acknowledging a supernatural or a divine level. And when you come into the presence of what is holy, the presence of divinity, acknowledge that with humility, with a sense of, of um, pot potential recognition of unworthiness, of gratitude, right? all of those things that are expressive of the relationship with um, with the one that you have entered into. Now that was Socrates saying that about Greek gods, but let's bring that around because I think what you were talking about was the experience that many Catholics have had of coming to mass and just being present in a casual fashion. Mm -hmm. And the damage that that causes to faith when that's the general atmosphere of the sacred liturgy, sacred, holy work of God, right? This holy liturgy is that it's lacking in somehow in reverence. Um, so uh, d does that does that kind of hit home at all in your story? Absolutely, that hits home. Uh, my pastor uh, was, I never detected anything but reverence from him. And certainly there were uh, many of the parishioners who um you know, were very reverent, um, but there were many who were not. And, and casual, I think, is um, so that's that's the perfect way to describe what I saw, um, where it was a, um, it just wasn't there wasn't a connection mm -hmm. between what the Holy Mass is <laughs> and what it looked as if people were, were were participating in. So you've heard my story with Kerry where we were over here doing a married couples retreat at uh, St. Pius in Coeur d'Alene, and we were invited by another family from St. Joan to come to the High Mass on the following day. We went into the 1030 Mass, and Carrie was weeping. She just started weeping. Yeah. As she looked around at this full church, full of big families, dressed with a sense of like recognition that there's something holy going on, mm all of the genuflection, all of that, this was, it, it was, she was weeping. She was weeping. And I was like, why are you weeping? And she was weeping for two reasons. The first is they believe this. This is so, oh my goodness. Why? And then there was the, there was the grieving. Why haven't we, why haven't we yeah. been exposed to this? And now this is a couple of very involved Catholics you're talking yeah. about. Did you guys have a story like that? Yeah, and it's going to be hard for me to talk about it still, um, because that is um, what happened to us. So it was a mo it was a um, holy week, and um, friends of ours had been uh, telling us about the Latin Mass, and um, other friends of ours had been telling us all the reasons not to go, <laughs> um, and rather disparaging things about the people who go, and just the fact that it's an inaccessible mass because it's in latin and you know and you know we were prompted by i, I don't know why so we'll call it the holy spirit uh to go um one holy week and check it out and um that was very much our experience um uh tears and um um it just i don't know it just it it was truly the worship of god and it was so biblical and so rich and beautiful and maybe because i'm you know was raised jewish like you know it's not a problem for me that the liturgy is in latin by the way the homily is not in latin that is a myth um and everyone has a missile so you do know what's going on you might get lost the first few times you go but the for me following along in the missile and just reading reading the words that that brought me in that like participation that is participation every word i'm following along and i'm unpacking or sometimes maybe not every word i'm stopped because i'm just stunned i'm stunned by the truth of what was just said or the reason for what was just done and yeah we we just that it was it was just soul I just don't know what the word is. It was amazing. Well, and so this impacted, obviously, you're, you're sharing about the transformative, like profound impact on your own 
life as a Catholic, especially yeah. your life of worship. Yes. Um, did it have an overflow effect um, in your life outside of church in terms of like your marriage and your kids' lives? It, it's transformed everything. I mean, my kids, their, their whole attitude toward the Mass and toward the faith transformed them. And, um, you know, everything I, I've, like, there's, there's, there's things I've learned in the homilies that I was just completely unaware of, the depths of the faith, the, sa- the works of the saints, the truths of the virtues, the hard truths of the vices, and just the purposeful way in which I live my life now compared to before i attribute wholly to the latin mass and just the whole package around it the catechesis the 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 orthodoxy and the true belief um i really do well and it's uh, this is almost like a a whole other portion of it that um, the preaching of at the Novus Ordo has definitely been formed by a particular theology and spirituality of the liturgy, which says that um, the homily is to be liturgical preaching on the scriptures. And, and that's what you would typically get at, at, a, at the Novus Ordo Mass. And the traditional Latin Mass are following more the traditional format that it's the principal time where you're going to catechize your people. And so you're going to get hard teaching, hard truths presented in, in, a, in, a, in a complete way, a very convicting way. All right, we're up against a break. Back in a minute with Mark Rome. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. I'm with Mark Rome. And Mark is the president and the founder of PreserveTheLatinMass.org. Go to PreserveTheLatinMass.org. And uh, it's a beautiful and important initiative today. Um, and so, Mark, I think that, um, you know, when I hear this said, right, so there are a lot of folks out there who hear this and like saying, are you just trying to get people to go to the Latin Mass? And it's like, well, no, I want you to be able to live your Catholic life in its fullness, but just appreciate the fact that there are many Catholic families who grow up like mine. We didn't go up, grow up going to the, uh, to the Latin Mass. You didn't, you didn't grow up Christian, and, and you guys made your way into the Catholic faith, and then you made your way, uh, the Lord drew you into the traditional Latin Mass. Um, I think there are a lot of misunderstandings around um, like the kind of Catholics that we bump into um, when we go to a traditional Latin Mass or a traditional Latin Mass parish like St. Joan in, in, in Post Falls. Um, use that as a doorway into your initiative, Preserve the Latin Mass. Talk about that. Yeah, I mentioned to you um, that, that when we were considering going to Latin Mass, a lot of our friends had things to say about people in general who go to Latin Mass. And that was a barrier for Let me us. guess. Judgmental, rigid, close-minded, self-righteous, uh, proud, uh, uh, overly harsh. I don't yeah. know, something like that. Make their own clothes. Um, <laughs> do whatever the priest tells them to do. Oh, I plus so all of that. Oh, yeah. that's so funny. It, yeah, so obviously we didn't rush in. Um, <laughs> but that is not what I found, yeah. Tom. Like, And I've been to a lot of... Latin Mass parishes yeah. um, because we've we've moved around a little bit, and that is not what I find. I find people a lot more like you know with stories a lot more like mine. Now they didn't all start off Jewish, but I find a lot of converts, a lot of converts to the faith, and I find people who are on fire um, for their faith and who are living their faith um, in the sacrifices that they make. In their lives, the de- every decision they make, they're putting their f- their their vocations as uh, you know father and mother ahead of careers and 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 other things, and it's not like backward, uh, like programmed, indoctrinated people. These are people who have, you know, in many cases, accomplished a lot in the world, and have discovered this uh, expression of the faith and all the truth that comes with it and have transformed their lives. So that's, that is what these parishes are full of. Um, now, is that 100%? No, but that is, in my experience, the majority. And they're young. You know, I mean, I'm old. 
uh, you know, at most Latin mass parishes. People don't know how old you are, though. You're in the like mid 40s. Yeah, I'm 43. 40s? 43. Or maybe 44, approaching somewhere go. around yes. there. And, um, and, you know, I have my oldest is 14. And, you know, I've got to be in the older half of, of the parish uh, demographics. And, and another thing, they're diverse. Like, these are people from all backgrounds, all um, races, ethnicities. Like, it's a beautiful, beautiful scene. And we're all praying the same mass, the same words. We're united. We're united. And these are people, by the way, who love the church. You know, we love the church. I, I did not, I became Catholic because I love what the church is. And I love the unity of the church. And um, I, I admire the church hierarchy. And in fact, one funny thing is, um, it wasn't until I became, uh, I moved over to the Latin Mass that, you know, it became a habitual part of my day mm-hmm. to pray for the Pope. I pray for the Pope, I pray for the bishops, I pray for our priests. My whole family does. We come together in the family rosary. Like, our whole prayer life has been, has flourished um, since since uh, attending this, this Mass. Yeah, and folks that have listened to Sound Insight, I'm not going to go into the, how it's changed my family's life because um, they've heard it a hundred times. But I do want to say this. You started a nonprofit organization, and it's not called Proclaim the Latin Mass. It's not called Tell Every Catholic yes. to Go to the Latin Mass. It's called Preserve yes. the Latin Mass. What, why is there a need for an initiative like this? What was it yeah. that stirred it, and what's it all about? So um, having transform my life in the ways we've all just talked about. Um, I was, uh, frankly, uh, shocked and saddened uh, about eight months ago when, when this uh, motu, motu proprio came out from the Vatican, which uh, said um, that there is a problem that needs to be corrected. And the problem is, according to the document, with who we are and what what we believe and what we do, those of us who attend the traditional Latin Mass. And um, so restrictions have been promulgated according to this document. Um, Many uh, diocesan priests who have been um, uh, celebrating the Latin Mass are now uh, unable to do so. And there's all kinds of restrictions around it down to uh, unprecedented minutia of how the Vatican is now dictating how um, uh, priests must run their own parishes and and they're undermining the authority of, of the bishops. Um, and, and, and since this document, um, there have been various other statements, a dubia and, and, and other, other interviews put out by the Congregation of Divine Worship, which has authority to uh, execute against this 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 moto proprio, which is like a decree, it's like a, a new rulemaking, and it overall it it just really has started to reverse everything that the prior popes, uh, Pope Benedict and uh, Pope uh, John Paul II, had put in place around which, which which said, yes, we have the Novus Ordo in the Roman Rite, but we also have the traditional Latin Mass, and I think Pope Benedict went as far as to say. And it never shall be taken away, um, or the right of a priest to say it never shall be taken away. So this whole thing just shocked me. Uh, it was such a um, an about turn out of nowhere. Well, and it, it's like um, in, when I think about the way when I read it, uh, it was like, who are these people that uh, are speaking to the Holy Father about? the kinds of folks who are attending the traditional Latin mass and what they are like, if they're 11 in the church, what are they leavening? Because it it seemed as if the, the message was these folks are divisive. These folks are anti the second Vatican council, anti the Novus Ordo mass and um, uh, are denying the validity of these things among other things, right? There's a lot of attitudinal stuff but then there were certain claims, and I'm like, I don't know who's, you know, who's like, whose voice and where this data data is that's reaching our Holy Father. But 
it's not right. It's just incorrect. It is so wrong in terms of the the effects that the traditional Latin Mass has had on Catholics who have gone there. Yeah, it's misinformation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's it really there's something. So going hearkening back to my corporate experience, this there is a broken process that was lacking control. Like something has gone very wrong in the formation of of the understanding of the facts mm-hmm. about who we are, what we believe, mm-hmm. and. I think there was some kind of a survey, but I don't think like many bishops actually responded. The survey hasn't been made public. Long, you know, at the end of the day, who is it who can best represent the facts? Well, it's us. I don't think it's someone sitting in, uh, you know, in in, in the a Vatican, Vatican office, right? Um, yeah, and 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 then relying on bishops like a, a an in, an incomplete response from bishops that who knows which bishops responded didn't so. Um, we, uh, many of us, we don't have media channels. We don't have, you know, the ability to speak. We don't have a platform, but we do have this urgent need to speak out about and what we see as a factual error. We're not, mm-hmm. we're not playing prelates like we, we know we're, we're laity, but the facts need to be corrected here at a very, at the very minimum, the decision makers in the church our bishops and the curia, they need to know, they need to hear this alternative. The sensus fidelium, right? The sense of the faithful. Like yes. What is it that we're sensing? What's our insight? What's our experience? What's yeah. our judgment about the reality of the traditional Latin Mass? So, okay, now let's let's direct line this to preservethelatinmass.org. Yes. yes, it's not preserve, it's, it's preserve the Latin Mass. It's not uh, replace the Novus Ordo with the Latin Mass. It isn't, uh, you know, propagate. Mass is it. It, the, it isn't. It, the yeah. Latin Mass is the only true Mass, uh, and we need to take over the church with it. It's none of that. That's not what we do. We do not go and sit around and plot a takeover of the church. We need to preserve the Latin Mass because it is an essential treasure of the whole church, and it would be a um just a, 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 a it would be a, a cat, it would be catastrophic for it to be taken away the whole church would suffer if the latin mass the mass that has been said for 1500 years was just cancelled and how much more catastrophic would it be if it's cancelled for the wrong reasons yeah that's a powerful point, Mark, and um, we're going to pick up on that point when we get when we come back after the break. Um, Mark Rome is here with me, the the president and uh, one of the founders of PreserveTheLatinMass.org, and um, he's, we're now getting into the heart of the the mission of this nonprofit to um, to lift up um, authentic information, testimony, stories, and and just to send a different signal, right, to the bishops and to our Holy Father and. Um, the other offices in Rome to say you have heard some information we want to tell you uh, the rest of the story and maybe help correct the story all right more with Mark Rome in just a minute on Sound Insight Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. Again, I'm with Mark Rome, who is the founder of the organization and the president of Preserve the Latin Mass. And you can go to preservethelatinmass.org. Mark, you've spoken with great passion about the, the importance of preserving the Latin Mass and that it's, it's at risk right now. It's at risk because of some of the recent announcements and decrees that have come from the, the, the Vatican and from certain offices that are starting to apply them. Um, well, what is Preserve the Latin Mass doing about it and what can we do to get involved? So Preserve the Latin Mass our, our initial action, call to action, is an open letter to the Holy Father. It's on the website that you've been uh, sending people to. And you can go on, you can read the letter, you will see, you will find that it is not a letter that is 
designed for only those who attend the traditional Latin Mass to be able to sign. It is uh, carefully written uh, to be something that, that any all Catholics could get behind. And it really is... Um, it, it really is a testimony. It's a testimony of the laity saying, um, no, we think that the Latin Mass brings a richness and a value that benefits the whole church. And for these reasons, we, we, we ask that it not be restricted. This is very respectful and charitable in the way it's written. Um, we are pleading to our Holy Father to please intervene in what is be, what is transpiring and to please take steps to to ensure that this this uh this form of the roman mass is preserved right and so even if like so for those folks who are like i'm never going to go to the latin mass that, that, that's fine you know you, you find life in the, the novus ordo um i go to the novus ordo mass and i go to the traditional latin mass and i bring my family to both and um and we find life in both however just hear this Things have transformed my family through our participation in the traditional Latin Mass, and not just my family, Mark's family, and I can, I can bring to this microphone hundreds and hundreds of other families whose Catholic faith has been either found, formed, reformed, and advanced because of their participation in the traditional Latin Mass. And, and that's worth standing up for. That's worth acknowledging. That's worth preserving. This is not about, again, dividing. This isn't about rigidity. This isn't about like hearkening back to something that I had in my youth. No, we're, Mark is talking about all of these families. And I'm, I know all of the, lots of lots of families who never had the Latin Mass, but are discovering in it a, a, a kind of reverence and a kind of awakening to faith that is so desperately needed today. Why wouldn't we want to support that kind of initiative? That's right. And by signing this letter, you're 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 communicating uh, not only to the Pope himself, but to all of our bishops who are, at the end of the day, the true decision makers in their diocese. Um, you know that that this this mass should be preserved. It has value. It 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 makes the church a better place. We have this beautiful, in, within the church, we have this beautiful diversity of liturgies all over the world. There's so many of them. And this is just one of them, and it should be protected. Um, and so I, I ask, um, I, re, I, I ask that you will go to the site, read the letter, and, and you know, there, there are people who will read it. You have it. to tell me the site again, Mark. You have to learn to do this. You have to tell me the name of this website. Preserve the Latin Mass PreserveTheLatinMass.org. PreserveTheLatinMass.org. Go check it out. Read the letter. If you support it, sign it. Sign it. Go ahead. And we're just getting started. Uh, by the way, we, we're approaching 18,000 signatories. And really all we've done, Tom, is turn it on. We didn't, we haven't, I haven't been running some media circuit. There's no real promotion People care, and and these aren't all TLMers, uh, traditional Latin Mass attend attendees. These are all Catholics. These are non-Catholics signing it. Um, it's a beautiful thing, and this is from all over the world. This website is accessible in all kinds of languages: Chinese, Korean. We have people signing. I was just looking at the list from Singapore, Germany, everywhere. Wow, it's beautiful. That's and amazing. Yeah, this is a global. Uh, this is the, the, the unified Catholics across the world simply, respectfully, and charitably telling our bishops, we care about this. This matters to us. Right. And, and for me, it, you begin with the testimony, the story your, of your journey in faith. And stories have such power, to, such power to break through what can be simply hardened um, ways of thinking about something. It's like you can think that, oh, it's only these rigid, closed-minded, narrow folks who are attending the traditional Latin Mass. Well, until you go, you come and see. Come and see and, and, and interact with the folks that are there. And all of a sudden you realize, my goodness, there's something so very glorious here, glorifying to God, so very beautiful and reverent, and it changes lives. It's, it's one of the true um, places of 
um, momentum of revival of, I want to say, a movement of the Holy Spirit that is occurring in the church today is happening in traditional Latin masses and at those kind of parishes. That's absolutely right. I mean, my story is nothing uh, that different from the story of most who I have met. So, Mark, tell me, um, you said that it's the first of many things. Can you give us a little hint into uh, one other thing, maybe, or a couple yeah. other things that you're planning? Well, I mean, we're gonna, we are going to, um, con- you know, step up our efforts to, to, to drive for additional signatures, because I think the number of signatures does matter. So we are um, deploying boots on the ground um, at, uh, you know, all, over the, all over the world, really, that, that we're ramping up that effort. But really, this site, beyond just the open letter, um, we envision it to be a central landing spot for anyone who wants to learn about the Latin Mass or learn about the people who attend the Latin Mass or um, learn about the situation that's unfolding right now. Um, so um, we, the, the site will be built out with resources, uh, with engaging content, um, and really just the open, the open letter is the flagship initiative, um, but so much more to come. Well, and I think that would be very beautiful because when you think about how do you overcome misinformation, well, it's with accurate portrayals, right? It's clean, clear, regular communication around so many aspects of things. I think that um, you talked about the first encounter with the Latin Mass and how it can be very inaccessible and a bit mysterious and, and what do I do? I'm feeling lost in it. One of the interesting things is the impact that you'll discover if you go to the traditional Latin Mass, and then you actually come back to the Novus Ordo. And Carrie had a very interesting reflection. She said, I'm exhausted now when I go to the Novus Ordo Mass because I'm constantly saying things. And it's because I'm always having to pay attention, and now I've got to make the response versus her ability to quietly contemplate and enter into the mystery that's there. So yeah. very, you know, beautiful testimonies. Yeah. And I could go on about my kids and how much more reverent they are when they come back to the Novus Ordo Mass. Yeah, it's it's such a peaceful experience. I agree. <laughs> and But I do want to emphasize that preservethelatinmass.org is not a rejection of the Novus Ordo. It is an embracing of the traditional Latin Mass and it is a respectful and charitable um, speaking out uh, in the face of what appears to be an effort to uh, restrict it and or ultimately abrogate it. Well, and that's one of the sadnesses that, that it is for me. It's like we have so many... Um, let's call so many battles to fight outwardly when we when we think about all the places in our contemporary culture where we have to stand up speak out and push back and have to spend any energy at all on um, efforts to hopefully maintain a liturgy that is feeding nourishing the spiritual lives of our families and of our own lives that's a sadness that's a sadness to me we're up against the end of our program thank you so much for taking time today folks go check it out please preserve the Latin Mass.org. Preserve the Latin Mass.org. Mark, thanks for being with me today. Thank you so much. God bless you all. Join me tomorrow for more. Actually, no, join me on Monday for more sound insight. Well, I'll be joined by Father Jeff Lewis.